We are back. It's Coast to Coast AM. Connie Willis here talking with Tom Cat Cantrell, fifth generation of the West, nine years in the U.S. Navy. It goes on and on and on. And then Bigfoot comes into his life. He sees them eating. He sees them living life. He salutes them. He has a great time with them. He knows them. And we got to get back into the story that he was going into because we stopped you right at the climax. By the way, you can learn more about Tom Cat Cantrell by going to his website and check out his many books and the different essays that he has too. TomCantrell.com. That's T-H-O-M-C-A-N. T-R-A-L-L.com. You can always go to uh, coasttocoastam.com, our website, and you can look up his bio and his information there. You'll see all the links and stuff like that, too. So, all right, Tom, you got to catch us back up where we were in the story. Okay. Well, I was uh, just uh, had been tracking them down the mountain and into Blue Creek drainage and found some burned out big fir trees there, you know, six, seven, eight foot across. As those would make a great tent for me tonight. I won't have set up my tent. And I threw my sleeping bag in there, walked up the stream a couple of hundred yards to make sure there weren't any dead deer laying in the, in the stream before I took water out to make coffee. And uh, I did notice in the, uh, you know, in my, my tree tent that there were some long black hairs in there, but I thought that was probably had been it had been a bear's uh, hibernation den for the winter, and since I didn't plan on being there until winter when the bears came back, I didn't think it'd be a problem. But long in the evening, it was it was getting dark. It wasn't dark yet, but it was on its way. I started hearing these howls coming first from one ridge top, just a long owl. And then from the other ridge, answering it, same thing. And they kept getting closer and closer and closer. Finally, I could see three shapes. And, you know, just just barely outlined. There was just enough light to see the shapes moving between me and the trees. And uh, so I started talking to them. Hi, guys, what are you doing? You know, I'd sure like to meet you. You know, I came all this way and... And they came in close. I mean, close enough. There was it was a family group. It was, it was a, a male, a female, and, and a juvenile. And the juvenile kept sneaking in and had a stick in his hand, and he'd wrap the tree that I was in. And uh, I moved around so that I had the, my fire behind me, so it wouldn't be in my eyes because you can't see if you're looking at a fire. Fire, you can't see into the night at all. Yeah. If you sit with it behind you. You can you can see out pretty well. It'll light up your area, and that's what it did. And I swear he was trying to communicate with me. Now he never used telepathy at this time, not not at all. But I swear he was. uh, If you've listened to Ron Moore's tapes, and I'm sure you have, I'm sure you have. It was the same thing that that uh, uh, what they call samurai chatter. Oh, really? That's what you're hearing. Wow. Oh, yeah, yeah. And he was very much trying to talk to me. And, and this, this was the juvenile, all, right? The juvenile? No, this was, this was the large male. The oh, juvenile, daddy. He'd just sneak in, and then his mother would chew him out for getting too close <laughs> and back off. And, <laughs> and, and he'd back off, 
something and <laughs> sneak in again and hit the tree again. Just like a cat. I mean, who gets in more trouble in any species than juvenile males? Yes. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, yeah. And, uh, yeah, adolescent males maybe. And they are. But uh, but that, that went on all night long. And finally, oh, it must have been an hour before daylight. I finally was so tired I couldn't couldn't go anymore. And I, I said, I've got to get some sleep, guys, uh, but you're welcome to hang out. And I just laid down when I woke up, they were gone. But I had uh, tracks everywhere, the three size tracks. And it was just absolutely a fantastic occurrence. And then it just it kept escalating from there. And in 2014, we had a, a uh, camp out. I, that's the last time I was in that area until 2014. We went back a group of us, and uh, we camped at Elk Meadows, which is right at the end of that up the go road up from the east, east side. And we had a whole group of us there, and we just had an absolutely wonderful time. We came around driving into camp one, uh, one evening. We had to go to town to get some gas for our stoves and uh, came around a corner at the 14-mile mark. And there's two of them standing right in the road, right in front of the car. And uh, the one, the lady in the front seat with, with me was Jackie Tonks. Jackie was over from England for this outing. And uh, she just yelled out as loud as she could, Bigfoot! <laughs> and uh, Arla uh, Colette, Arla Williams, was asleep. Arla! <laughs> and she woke up when... Jackie yelled. They turned and took two steps from where over the bank. And where they, where they went over the bank was right into the headwaters of Bluff Creek. Oh. From where we were, direct mileage, it was about three and a half miles to where the Patty film site was. That tells you exactly where we were. Yeah. But i got to tell you the funny part of this now. That was a milepost 14. Our camp is a milepost 34, 20 miles away. By the time we got back to camp, Jackie had talked herself out of having seen two Sasquatch in the road in front of the car. She had seen two Mexican drug mules wearing <laughs> long-haired ghillie suits and flip-flops with rucksacks on. That happens a lot. Describe that, because that happens a lot, doesn't it? It does. What it is, is her mind didn't know what Sasquatch was. It knew what Mexican drug, drug mills were. It didn't know what long hair flowing was, but it knew what a ghillie suit was. Mm-hmm. It didn't know what Osman pads were, but it knew what flip-flops were. And her <laughs> mind just retreated from what she'd seen back to what it knew. Yeah. And we were in camp two or three, four more days. And finally, she's talking about it one day. And I'm trying to, you know, Jackie, that's not what happened. That's not what you saw. And Arla came up. She says, Jackie, you've traveled 6,000 miles to be here from England to see what you saw. And now your mind's not letting you see it. It's true. It scrambles to find something different because it's like does not compute, does not compute. It's not entered in us. That's exactly right. Yeah. And before I dropped her, that got her thinking. 
And before I dropped her at the airport in Portland a few days later, she had it straightened out and she understood <laughs> what she sees. And if you talk to her today, she'll tell you the whole story and, and how it worked. But yeah. yeah um, but we saw, I mean, I, I think five or six uh, Sasquatch in camp that trip. Uh, I mean, full body sightings. Uh, wow. Kathy, Kathy, uh, uh, Bunt was there from Oregon, and uh, <laughs> she always liked to put her tent away from everybody else's because she liked the interaction at night with the youngsters. About the third night uh, in camp, she came from the next third, fourth morning, third morning, something like that. She came to the, the our uh, fire, and she her. Four eyes looked like two burnt holes in a blanket. She was so tired, she couldn't <laughs> hardly keep her eyes open. And all says, Jackie, what's wrong? Aren't you getting any sleep? She says, no, they're keeping me awake all night long. Artis <laughs> says, Jackie, you can tell them to leave you alone. She needs you sleep. She says, can I? She says, yes, of course you can. Or Jackie, Kathy. And, uh, yeah, of course you can. Okay, guys, tonight I need my sleep. Go play with Nancy and Russ. Well, Nancy and Russ were two other people in camp with us, and they were sleeping in um, hammocks. That's the night that the term Sasquatch Pinata was born. What those kids would do, they'd run by them and swat them on a butt in a hammock. People, people don't understand that they truly do these pranks and have fun. They, oh, they do, do that. Oh they man! Do. And, yeah. <laughs> but moving right along, because there is one story that I can't not tell. Um, we did my partner Brian Bland and our partner Sue Funkhauser. And I did a study on glyphs and structures up in BC. We spent five years doing it. And land land up there. And uh, the clan leader uh, is a great big guy. Um, He's about 12 feet tall and he's white. And his daughter, Rajase, uh, at that time was about 18 years old. She just was taking a mate, took a mate while Mm -hmm. we were there. And uh, just as, as a quick aside, I don't want to get too far ahead here, but she went, the way they do this, they have a semi-annual meeting where the delegates from all the clans meet. And this is where it comes up. So-and-so needs a mate and who, who's available. And they do not mate from nearby because they know the dangers of inbreeding. She went to Oklahoma to get her mate, to meet her mate. Huh. I was telling Arla about this the day that I saw her because she's a very unique-looking Sasquatch. First of all, she's the only one I've ever seen that has blue eyes. Oh. And she, her hair, head, her hair looks like she's got a flat top, been, been cut in a flat top. Very <laughs> unusual. And I started to explain this to Arla, you know, I was wait. She says, I've seen her, and she says, "Wait a minute." She went and got her notebook, came back, and she says, "She was here." There's a big guy, 
there that's in the area of Oklahoma where she lives, and they had all seen him. And this turned out, her mate turned out to be that fellow's son. But she read that back to me verbatim, what she had seen, and it was brought, I say, to a T. So she had seen her when she was in Oklahoma. They, she spent time there with with Borsna, and then when they were uh, when they have, they decided that's what they wanted to do, they come back to her clan's home, unless he's needed in his clan, and he wasn't there. There were other males. He came back with her, and uh, the uh, they got well that natural order of things. Again, at that meeting, they decide who's going to have children this year. They only have children about once every six to seven years to keep their population low. They do that on purpose. Okay. Now, when they do that, it was their time. She was pregnant. I got the invitation to come join them for the birth. I traveled there. I was sitting with 18 male Sasquatch watching her give birth. Her mother was the, uh, her midwife. The baby was born, and you've never seen anything so cute in your life. A little, about 23, 24-inch ball of fur. <laughs> and the first thing they do is take it to the creek and dip it in the creek and wash it. And, of course, he lets you know what he th- thinks of that real quick, which serves the same purpose as our babies swatting them on the butt when they're born, right? Mm. It, gets, it gets the lungs working. It gets some breathing strong, right? Well, the thing is, I was sitting there, and they went, he, she went back to, uh, to uh, Rajase, and I couldn't figure out what they were doing. Uh, was she, you know, she going to birth the afterbirth or, or what? And all of a sudden, it came to me. It's twins. And she mm-hmm. delivered a second baby. Mm. So I got to see the birth of twins. Now, you saw them physically? Physically. 18 physically as well, watching? Yeah. Yes. Did, okay, this is going to, yeah. this is kind of funny. But okay, so anytime I've seen a show and the guy, the husband is watching the birth, they faint, they freak out, they go crazy, they don't like what they're seeing. How those this 18? This was almost like a royal birth. Those 18 <sighs> males, that's more than is in their clan. So those were invited from other areas for this, from other clans. And they're standing there watching this they're happen. Sitting. We're all sitting on the oh. bank watching it. Yeah. And they, how did they invite you? Telepathically. Yeah, they I, said, I, hey. By that, by that time, I had my teacher, and uh, and he speaks to me telepathically. That's another story. But uh, I met him in 2010, again, through the auspices of Arla. Uh, it was a, uh, it was a, uh, it was the fall of the year, it was September, and I wanted to get out. I had a bad case of cabin fever. And there was a new road just opened up. I'd been on the ridge on both sides of this, but the road up the middle 
had been part of Boise Cascades Tree Farm, and they had put the tree farm to bed and deeded the land to the uh, Confederated Tribes of the Umatilla Indian Reservation. And so the Indians had had it closed while they rebuilt the road and made it safe, and then they opened it to the public. And we got to stop you again. We got to take a break. Time flies, Tom. Time flies on coast to coast, that's for sure. If you want to learn more about Tom, go to his website, tomcantrell.com. He's got 13 books. He's got essays that he writes and so much more. So stay with us. More to come. We'll uh, wrap up the last segment and uh, see about taking some of your calls, too. Stay with us here on Coast to Coast AM. You are listening to Coast to Coast AM. Hello there, Connie Willis with you. Please join my uh, website over there at ConnieWillis.com. Sign up for the email newsletter there. I would love for you to do that, and you can hear more about my shows and my adventures out uh, with Blue Rock Talk called Project Creepy Hotspots, where we go three to five days, and we are investigating live virtually Bigfoot, maybe hauntings. That'll be just an overnight one. Because uh, you can only, like, to me, you can just do a haunting <laughs> one night and then you're done. You're, like, tired. You're exhausted. But uh, with the big footing and the strange lights, you know, you can go three to five days. And it's a lot of fun. It's absolutely amazing. And just batting a thousand with activity and just it's so amazing. So I hope that you can join. Uh, that's Blue Rock Talk and the Creepy Hotspots. And just go to ConnieWillis.com to learn more. Um uh, we are our guest tonight is Tom Cat Cantrell. That's what I call him because he's got so many different lives and he, he's got so many different stories for us as well. And you know, you you had been a blue rocker with my show, and Tom, you heard a lot of different stories as well. It is so amazing these these people. They're they they experience love they have laughter they uh you know the pranks they they think they feel to me the only entities out there that this is my research you know the only entities to me that you can have a relationship with and it's just so fun and you know there's a lot of people that say hey these these things are mean they're vicious they're horrible but uh and not to cut off your last story but i just want to make sure we get some of your thoughts and theories on on the Sasquatch in general, I mean, they're so individualistic. You might get a grumpy one or a mad one or who knows what you might have done to upset one. But for the most part, they're they're like, they're great. I, I tell people, I'm 80 years old. I can't walk anymore. But if you think you have a dangerous Sasquatch, call me. I'll come stand between you and them anytime. Yeah. You know, yeah. Where do those stories come where from? Where, where, do, where do they come from? Where do those stories come from? Where they're like vicious killers. In in my book, uh, uh, Sasquatch Face to Face, it's a compilation of 32 face-to-face encounters from people all over North America. And so many of them talk about how absolutely scared to death they were. I he, And all he was doing was looking at him. Well, I got to tell you, I'm still intimidated. I'm, you know, I'm not, well, uh, you know, it's. And, and that's something you have to get over. Yeah. It takes time. Fear. You yeah, have to it, be comfortable with them. Yeah. Um, it's a, it, it's a work in progress. You know, I know yeah, how they are and it's cool. Understood. But you know, the, that's, that's where that comes from. They're big. 
They're yeah. not particularly pretty as if you want to compare them to us. <laughs> I think they are. But, uh, you know, actually, I prefer them to ours. But, uh, uh, I really feel they're more intelligent than, than we are. Oh, they're highly but, advanced. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. First of all, they don't have anything to do with us. That proves intelligence right there. (laughs) And you know what? And you know what, Tom? You you don't. It's not that they have to go E equals M C squared or whatever. You just you. It's a knowing as soon as you're around them that they are highly advanced. That's right. That's right. You know it in the way they look at you. My teacher has told me we have no powers, no capabilities that you did not at one time have. The difference is, about 35 millennia ago, you stopped uh, adapting to your environment and started adapting your environment to you. Yes. We we moved indoors. When we moved indoors, now we're talking across the fire. We don't need telepathy anymore. Well, now we talk to Alexis and these other little things, you know, and they answer us back. Yeah. Yeah. And they're still, they're still vestiges of, of uh, original telepathy in, in the human race, but it's not as prevalent as it was. You know, well, you I know, can't... the first thing, you know, you know, the first thing they said to me was, we are highly advanced and we're everywhere. That's right. They certainly said, are in both cases. What kind of wisdom is that? That's excellent. Yeah. Yeah. Now, can you... Get one on a bad day or be in the wrong place at the wrong time? Yes, I've I've done that. And I've had them upset with me. Okay, what did I do? I laughed. Come back another time. Yes. And, And it's like hearing the growl. To me, if you hear a growl, hey, back up. It's saying, hey, get away, back up. You know, maybe... You got to remember, there's a growl they use. It's it's kind of a growl. Have you heard that one? That's a I, I know I've heard them to where it's like back up. You know, yeah. And maybe yeah. they're breastfeeding their baby or something. You know, that's right. That's right. If their baby's there, they don't want you around. That's right. Oh, I was going to tell you about the twins. I went back up to Canada in September. I got to go back again. It's the first time I've been since before COVID. And uh, Brian was having a, his camp out, uh, his Arishna gathering. And uh, that's the name of the clan leader. And mm. Roger He sounds Sager, Jewish. I'm sorry. Is that a Jewish word? <laughs> no, it's a, it's got the, it's a, you have to roll the R. It's a, it's a, Arishna. That's a, oh. I, I write it with three R's because it's very good to roll up. And like they yeah. say, that's as close as you can come to pronouncing it. <laughs> it's not exactly what it is, but that's as close as a human voice can come to pronouncing it. Same with my my teacher, Akanisha. You know, mm. That's not really the name, but uh, it's as close as you can come to pronouncing it. But when I was there, Raja said he got a hold of me and said, come to such and such a place and told me. Well, I don't drive anymore, so I had to get somebody to take me. So uh, I had three ladies that uh, that I was working with, and uh, I had them drive me and then sent them off on a, on a uh, hike and just sat there. And she brought her twins down 
to show me. And their their uh, ninth birthday was just last Monday, and uh, 15th of January. And also her new baby. She's got a new, new uh, it's about two years old now. So, yeah. Keeping up with them. Yeah, and it was it was so wonderful to see her and to see the twins. Amazing. You know, nine years old. They're probably five and a half, six feet tall, and <laughs> <laughs> full of hell as the day is long. Pardon my French, but uh, yeah. Uh, are you are you Uncle Tom to them? You got to be more or less. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I have been around these guys so much now for the, all of these years. When I go out, they come to me. You know, all yes. I do. People say, "How do you read? How do you do it when you when you go out? How do you get, see them?" They come I, to you. I, yeah. I've got a very simple way I do it. I take my folding chair, I open it up, I put my ice chest with my fried chicken hips and boiled eggs and diet Pepsi in it beside me. I plant my tail in my chair, open my Kindle. Grab a fried chicken hip, read my Kindle, and eat my chicken and boiled egg, and drink my diet Pepsi until they show up. Oh man! <laughs> so, what fried chicken hip is that? A thigh? Thigh, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious! I, I got to remember that so I can say it. I got some. I got some eleven herbs and spices. Yeah, there you chicken go. hips in the refrigerator right now. So, um... <laughs> that was one of my favorite jokes ever in Playboy. Two policemen had Colonel Sanders, one by each elbow. One of them says, we finally found out what those 11 herbs are. (laughs) That was in what magazine? That was in Playboy back in the 60s. (laughs) Oh, I don't want to think of you that way. I don't want to think of that. Come on. You're like my uncle. Okay, so so we got some phone calls. Let's let's go see what they want to ask you. Let's go west of the Rockies. We got Howard from Vancouver, Washington. Hey there, Howard. You're on the air. How are you? Hello, Connie and Tom. Hi. I I heard a story uh, about 44 years ago. Uh, It was when Mount St. Helens erupted. And uh, at that time, uh, the... uh, Army sent a whole squadron of uh, helicopters down here from Fort Lewis, and they were patrolling the area. Out. It was a huge, devastated area out there. And they were looking for uh, survivors, uh, any, anything that they could do to rescue people. And the story goes that, uh, that on several occasions they spotted uh, injured Sasquatch, and they actually landed... Uh, treated them for their burns and loaded them aboard and flew them into a safer area. And I, you know, I've heard that that story keeps reoccurring, and I'm just wondering if you might have ever heard anything about that. That's the first time I've heard that version, but yeah, I've heard stories. But I want you to know this: if you remember, were you around when Mount St. Helens flew? Was I was, and I was to blow. Okay. There were 86 people uh, lost in that area when it was blowing. Now, you got to remember, for two months, three months prior to its, its detonation, it had been expanding. The north side of that mountain had been expanding so many inches a day. There were no Sasquatch left in that entire area by the time it blew. 
The only people who did not know it was going to erupt was the U.S. government. Everybody else did. Okay. Sasquatch knew that thing was going to erupt. They were gone long before it ever erupted. Helicopters were there to find those 86 lost people. They weren't looking for Sasquatch or anybody else. There were 86 human beings lost that they had to find, and they found 20 of the of uh, of those and saved them about 20. But no, there's there those stories are not true. Uh, I, I, and you know they didn't start till just recently, a few years ago. You know what I've I've heard those stories too a long well a long long time ago heard stories similar to that mm-hmm. and where people had seen uh, you know what you're talking about I I agree with you there's there's no way they know you're even coming to the forest before you even know you're coming that's, to the that's forest exactly right so that's exactly, yeah. exactly but, right but, but let me yeah, ask this a- when there's a huge forest fire why do they not get involved to stop it or the you know, fire, take them out. fire is a danger to them. Okay, that's the reason they don't use. They sometimes utilize fire, but they don't ever use it. They don't uh, because if you're trying to stay hidden, the last thing you want is something that has a trail right straight up in the air, pointing right to where you are. Okay, so they get they just get out of the way. But they when it's destroying that many acres and where they live, I mean, why well, are they not? It, it, doesn't, it doesn't destroy it. That the, you know, this is the thing non-foresters don't understand. It renews it. Mm. Okay. The, there's no, no, there's no feed under an old growth forest. There's nothing for an animal to eat. If you have a fire come through and burn that all out, kill those trees, they'll come back. Okay, but in the meantime, brushes and grasses come back, and that's food for deer and elk. That's their food. Okay, so mm-hmm. fires are actually a good thing if they're controlled, if they don't, you know, do like Yellowstone did and burn for six straight months. But, uh, oh. you know, that, that, you know, you can overdo anything. But that, that's what it does. They, they clear out all the underbrush. They clear out disease. They clear out bug infestations and starts over again. That's why we're having these beetle infestations and such in, in the stands of, of inland timber is because there have been no fires. They put them out. So you got the bark beetles and you've got, you know, American elm beetles that are destroying American elm trees entirely. Mm. Uh, well, that makes sense. That makes sense. Hey, I hate to cut you off again, but it's time to go. You have you have told us some great stories, and we can go on forever. We just need a can campfire. I, can I say, and can I say this thing of this much about my books? Oh, uh, absolutely. Tell us what you'd okay. like to say. Um, I have some that I highly recommend, depending on what you like. Sasquatch of Proof will go into physical proof, reproducible scientific proof of the existence of Sasquatch. If you read and understand that book, you have physical proof of their existence. Okay. Uh, Sasquatch uh, 
from from myth to mystery goes into the healing that I've gone through with them. And that's a fascinating story. We didn't even get into that tonight. Uh, 21 Days to Destiny talks about the the Patterson-Gimlin film and everything that's happened in that Bluff Creek area from 1958 all the way up to 2014. The story and where they... And where they find that is TomCantrell.com. Tom, thank you. We got to go. We'll be talking to you, okay? Thanks. TomCantrell.com, T-H-O-M-C-A-N-T-R-A-L-L.com, TomCantrell.com. I call him Tom Cat Cantrell. He's got many lives. Check him out. And thank all of you. Ann Archer was with us earlier. Thank you for hanging out, listening with us, and having a good time. If you enjoyed the show, let us know. And for now, from the foothills of the Colorado Rockies, I got to thank the entire team that helps us out here. Julie Talbot, Bill May, Lisa Lyon, Tommy Danheiser, Dan Galani, Stephanie Smith, Mike Cosio, Adam Thompson, Lex Lonehood, Sean Ledesur, Jeremy Wells, Tim Benall, Gina Salvati, thanks so much. Donna Walker, thanks for tonight being on the phones. We've got, let's see, who else here? Jeremiah Harris, um, mm, Chris Burroughs, Lisa Gar, Richard Searett, George Knapp. And, of course, we got to thank George Nori. Thanks for letting me be here, George. The Coast to Coast team and family right there. So until we meet again, please join me at ConnieWillis.com for Blue Rock Talk and Connie After Dark. I'll be back on the 28th. Looking forward to it. Keep watching the night skies and continue with me to seek out the strange and uncover the unknown. For Coast to Coast AM, I'm Connie Willis. Good night.